go. All right. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 12 of Optimal You. It is amazing that we are here at episode 12. I'm excited for those of you that have been along so far for this whole journey, those of you who are just tuning in, those who have listened to a couple of episodes, appreciative of all of the support that you guys are showing to the program. Now, for those who are listening for the first time, what is Optimal You? Optimal You is a podcast that I've started that is not for me. It's for other people. I want to enable others to live their optimal lives and with that, change the world that's around them. I believe that we all have unique stories and experiences that are very relatable to the masses. And so from weeks and different times, I'll have guests on, help them share their story and connect with others uh, to help them live their optimal lives. Or I'll have uh, flow sessions, as they call them, invite some friends on and we'll just talk motivation, good stories. Uh, or sometimes you'll get just me. Uh, this week, I've got an awesome guest. Uh, my good friend, Bill Sprout. Welcome to the program, Bill. Hey, thanks, Joe. I'm excited to have you here today. Now, um, for many people who know Utah State Aggies football, uh, particularly, what, what was it, like eight years ago? Uh, 2009 well, through 2011. 2009 through the, 2011. If, you, if you've been in the realm of college basketball, particularly Utah State, you know Bill. He, you may know him by his... Uh, his performance name, what do they call it? It's <laughs> uh, my stage name. Your stage name, Wild Bill. Um, and so we more recently got to know each other through work. Uh, you, you came on 1-800-CONTACTS, and it was funny. Uh, so I'm a recruiter there. You were in contact with one of my colleagues, Marcus, and you were going to start with us here. Uh, and then... Uh, there, there was something that happened. You weren't able to join right away. And then we, we pushed your start date off a little bit. And that's where I think we first started. I was like, all right, here are the details. Let's, we'll get you in. And then it wasn't probably for several months that I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) this is wild bill. (laughs) It took people a while. (laughs) Yeah. And and then, geez, how long has it been now? I think it's been more than a year, right? Uh, yeah, I'm in about a year and a half. About a year and a half, and it's been awesome to to learn more about you, um, to to experience your personality, uh, and just to to be around your presence. It's awesome. I can see the carryover from from Wild Bill into <laughs> this. This is actually just who you are. <laughs> That's just my life. <laughs> just your life. It's, it's been great to have a nickname like Wild Bill because you do something dumb, people are like. Well, that's a wild bill. What were we expecting? And if you do something awesome, it's like, well, he can be awesome too. <laughs> I love that. I, I got to add something like that into my name. So those expectations drop a little bit for me. Yeah, dude, mediocre. You want to shoot for mediocre. So when you're awesome, people are like, whoa. Seed those expectations. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, before you came over, I did just a quick little web search of Wild <laughs> Bill. And I came across Wild Bill's official blog. And I just wanted to read through that because, again, those of you who are familiar with Bill, this is probably what you know about him. And I and I want to share that. Um, also, uh, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. I want to I check in on a couple of things, do a little bit of uh, housekeeping here before I jump into this. Um, it's Movember, Jovember. Hey. Our, our focus this month on Optimal U uh, is men's health. And uh, I was thinking about it. And uh, I had my friend Tyler on last week and I was like, who else can I have on? And then your name came up, Bill. And I was like, I know Bill's got a story in there. I know Bill uh, can share something along the lines of, of men's mental health that can, that can help people. And so that's part of the reason why I invited you on here. Um, and, and before we get too far ahead, it is Veterans Day today. And I want to give a shout out to those who have served our country, who are serving our country for the sacrifices that they make so that we can enjoy the freedoms that we do, that we can do these podcasts, that we can go out there, be Wild Bill, uh, be Joe Chacon, the recruiter, that we can live our lives. Um, Also, their families. Uh, Not only 
are these individuals sacrificing their lives, but their families uh, have to make that sacrifice as well. And some do pay that um, ultimate price for, for us here. And so I have a big love and respect for those that do serve our country and just wanted to give a shout out, although many of you are going to hear this later in the week, I uh, wanted to, to make sure that it paid those respects today. Now with Wild Bill <laughs> and his story, uh, reading over this bio on your blog post, um, there's a couple of things that are, that are very interesting uh, about this blog, but, but let me read this first. So it says, okay. if any of you know Aggie basketball, there's a good chance you know Wild Bill Sprout. He's the guy behind the basket, shaking what his mama gave him in one of several costumes that range from hula dancer to pirate to plain old shirtless wonder. <laughs> Sprout's antics have made him an Aggie icon and have been drawn to attention of the national media. His half-naked distract distraction techniques have been featured on ESPN's Not Top 10 plays ESPN first takes and NBC NBC sports Sprout's shenanigans began on accident when he was encouraged by friends to sit on the front row of a USU basketball game he decided to take off his shirt as a way to distract the other team and the rest is history Aggie blood runs deep for this super fan Sprout grew up in Richmond just a few miles from the famously rowdy Utah State spectrum and then it goes into where you're at at that time working uh, at probably Pounders. Was it Pounders? Then? Pounders. Yep. And then also uh, mentions your part Hawaiian, part Chinese, and part Caucasian. Oh, yes, I think sir. that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> we just did the DNA test. Oh yeah. I'm 19% Hawaiian, 24% right. Chinese, and then like 50 something. Uh, European on yeah. one side, and then there's like one or two percent like Eastern European or something. Like that. Those DNA tests are awesome. Yeah, they're pretty cool, <laughs> yeah. especially when it aligns with. Oh yeah, that's what I've been told all my life. <laughs> well, yeah, I didn't want to do it at first. I, didn't, yeah. I was not even interested at all. Yeah, and then my mother-in-law gave it to me and my wife for Valentine's Day last year, and finally I I broke down. I was like, all right, I'll give it a go. There you go. Was it was it the spit sample one? Yeah. 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 I didn't I didn't want to do it, but after I'd, some of my family had done it, I was like, okay, I guess I can give it a go. Nice. Well, Bill, that's um, neat to know that it is accurate. <laughs> yeah. That is your your um, heritage, your history. Um, but as far as your story, this is where, for me, knowing you, your story began, but, but where did your story begin? Where, where did all of this start? Um, well, it started with my mother and father, <laughs> you know, we, I was born, I was born in California, um, to a Hawaiian Chinese man and a, a white girl from farm girl from Idaho. Um, very contrasting life and. Um, <clears throat> I was raised in Idaho and Utah mainly with my mom. Parents divorced when I was one and a half. Mm. And my, uh, my dad stayed in California. Um, and I, you know, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints. And so I grew up with my mom who was very active in, in church and my dad who was not. And, uh, so when I was with my mom, I was a white kid that went to church. When I was with my dad, I was a Hawaiian Chinese kid that, didn't and uh when i was younger he'd take us and drop us off and uh, never did go to church with us but <clears throat> life was um very much more open with him um mm -hmm. we could do what we wanted really um he would always make joke when we would go out with our friends you know i was like 15 16 and he'd tell my i have a twin sister and oh, wow yeah and he'd say hey honey if you know, if you're going to get lucky, use a condom. <laughs> Dad would look at me and say, if she's stupid enough, don't ask twice. <laughs> you know, so. Some sound advice there. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was, you know, kind of the way I was raised with a very polarizing uh, family. And then mm -hmm. um, it kind of blew up one day into who I became and. I'm very proud of who I am, um, who I come from, and um, 
I'm, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's been a struggle to get to where I am, but you know, finally became comfortable because when, when I was with my mom, I could not let my dad's side mix at all and vice versa. One time oh, we were in yeah. California and we were in the Redwoods cause that's where I, we lived. We lived up in the Redwoods, Northern California on the coast and, um, some people from Cache Valley were up there and I was wearing a state wrestling shirt cause we had taken second in state that year and it said Skyview High School on it and they're like, oh, hey, we're from Cash Valley. I said, cool. And walked away. Didn't yeah. even say anything about that. Just left them because I could not mix those, those lot, that life. But then uh, when uh, eventually I was able to kind of be okay with who I was, um, I wasn't white with my mom and Hawaiian Chinese with my dad. I was a combination of both and I love them both very much. And I love mm -hmm. both of my histories very much. And so I was finally married, be able to marry those together uh, and become who I am and accept who I was um, mid twenties, you know, okay. it was a little bit yeah. later even than that. Mm -hmm. maybe. And um, when I finally did that, I was okay with who I was. And that's why I didn't want to do my DNA test because I finally have accepted who I am. I don't need something else to tell me more who I am. And in the back of my head, what if, what if I was switched at birth? What if, you know, something was, I couldn't yeah. take another thing like that. So <laughs> this is who I am. And, um, it was a struggle to, to get comfortable with who I was, but I finally did it. And, um, man, it's been nice ever since I can, you know, I'm cause I, you, you look at me, Joe, I, I'm a white looking dude. You know, people look at me and, they don't see a Hawaiian Chinese guy. I mean, I wear a lot of shirts with Hawaii stuff on them, but I'm wearing one now. But um, I say today you look kind of very poly to me, <laughs> you know. And then people always be, "Well, you, you act Hawaiian," you know. And it's like, mm -hmm. "Why? Because I'm lazy." <laughs> no, I mean, I love cooking the food, and you know, we're very friendly in my family. And um, but you know, I don't look that way, and so for me to celebrate my culture. I almost felt like an imposter, but then uh, I had family members that would get mad at me because when I lived in Hawaii, people would call me a haole, which means well, a white person. It's a little derogatory. Um, my Hawaiian uncle actually calls it the H word. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, and my my auntie one time, I didn't correct somebody when they called me a haole, and she's like, "No, he's Hawaiian." And they're like, oh, okay. And then she came at me. She's like, why did you not tell him you're Hawaiian? I said, well, I don't care what they think. She's like, but you're Hawaiian. You're going to be proud of that. Be proud of your heritage. Proud of who you are. Don't be ashamed of me and your dad. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so that's kind of where I'm at now. I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of who I come from. And I'm, I'm proud of, you know, where I'm going. Uh, that's that's amazing it sounds like a lot of internal struggle that went through that growing up oh, man, knowing always <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh knowing it probably was uh correct me if i'm wrong but not wanting to let that parent down right like, exactly yeah, yeah i'm i am um hawaiian like when you're with your dad or when you're with your mom not carrying that over because I'm sure you loved her. You loved that lifestyle as well. As you mentioned, you're very proud of both of them, both of the lifestyles we went through, but um, you didn't want to let either of them down. You know, when you, when you came finally to that realization that I'm merging these, I'm comfortable with who I am, what was that like then with, say, your mom and your dad where you're finally letting through both of these personalities and, and essentially identities that you have into one i think my mom always wanted me to accept everything because she would always tell me as a kid you don't realize how hawaiian you are you know you've it's in your blood and you've got a lot of tendencies and uh you know and i didn't really think much of it because of the things that i did that were that she would be speaking of were kind of just how i was raised with my dad or mm -hmm. you know kind of came second nature to me um and so with her, like when I finally kind of embraced everything, um, it was quite easy. And my dad, um, my dad is pretty easygoing, so he, you know, he didn't care. And so they just wanted me to be happy. Once they saw me happy with who I was, then they mm -hmm. were they were all happy as well. And when you've 
you're at this point. Was this while you were in school, after school, bef- during the Wild so Bill? I, I didn't start college till I was 24. Okay. Um, yeah, I I was working construction. I mm-hmm. you know lived in Hawaii for a while. I was just kind of out and about doing a lot of stuff, but I didn't um, start till later. So it was about my first year of college is when. I really started accepting everything. I became the vice president of the Polynesian Student Union, and that was a really good place to kind of embrace who I was that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm a country boy from small town <laughs> Utah. Yeah, I'm not super small. We have twenty five hundred people, and and we in two thousand and. In four, we got a stoplight and not a flashing light. So <laughs> there you go. It's not the smallest of towns, but <laughs> you know that's. I think that's the population of my senior. Uh, senior <laughs> class, but, you know, it's, it's not a small town. <laughs> yeah. But no, it's. Uh, yeah, so it was, it was really good. About about that time in my life, I really started coming into who I was, and I'm a little late bloomer, I guess. But and then. Uh, yeah, college was a hell, a hell of a time. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like Rick James. <laughs> yeah, you know, cocaine's one hell, yeah, of, a one drug. hell of a drug. <laughs> let's let's talk about college. Let's talk about the wild times because obviously there's there's the grow to popularity and and some fame, small town fame, and also on the larger scale as well. Um, but how how did that all start? Um, man, so. One day I was walking through the halls of Utah State and I saw this arrogant looking pompous dude and he was, you know, six, seven and (laughs) just thought he was so cool. And I'm like, I'm going to tame this guy. I'm going to make him cool. I'm going to make him like not so arrogant. That didn't work. He's, he wasn't arrogant in the first place. He just, (laughs) you know, you see somebody really cool and handsome looking fella. Um, He's also half Polynesian. Uh, My buddy, Ty Wesley, uh, you know, he was the star uh, basketball player at Utah State. Jake just thought he was so handsome, and we we loved life, man. It was so. I walked up to him and said, "Hey, you, you're Polynesian." He said, "Yeah." You know, and his family lives in Hawaii right now. His parents are both teachers there and are professors at uh, BYU Hawaii. And uh, so I said, "Oh, well, let's hang out. I'll make some food." And we started hanging out, and. Um, we just we hung out with a bunch of guys and we started doing really just dumb fun things. You know, we'd throw snowballs at cars. We <laughs> we were high school kids in college. Yeah. And, you know, we were all, you know, twenty two and older at least. Um and so we probably should have known better, but we were having fun. And one and I I don't like basketball. I think basketball is kind of an, an annoying sport. Um, that's interesting for whatever reason i just <laughs> yeah. don't find it fun um and ty's just like you need to come to a game i'm like why so i can fall asleep like seriously <laughs> he's like just come and i said okay and when you know growing up with my friends from high school we'd go to the games and make fun of utah state you know and <laughs> we, we were aggie fans but it was just fun to you know get at the people around us yeah uh, but we'd so i went to the game and I got my buddy, one of our good buddies, Jake. Uh, we all call him Frisbee. He he sat on the front row with a bunch of our other friends, and so they saved me a seat. And I started going to the game. I was like, "Whoa, there's an energy here. This is really fun." Uh-huh. A couple games in, I started taking my shirt off, <laughs> and then by the end of that season, I'd painted some stuff on my belly, and you know, thought it was funny. Next season comes around. And people are like, what are you going to do? I'm like, um, you'll see. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> um, and BYU was coming up to the spectrum to play. And I really, at that time in my life, I hated BYU. Um, so I wanted to. It's okay if you still do. <laughs> <laughs> I've let go of hate. I've tried to let go of the hate okay. in my life, you know. So I hated them. Um, I mean, it was kind of overpowering. It was not good. So I wanted to do something to uh, to more than just distract him. I wanted to offend him. So the best thing I could think of was a Chippendales dancer, kind of Chris Farley from Saturday Night Live, you know. And, oh, one of my favorite sketches. Yeah, I love that one. So I got up there and did some dancing, and uh, it worked. People thought it was hilarious. And then I had made a um for the next. So that was like a Tuesday or Wednesday, and then the Saturday night game. 
we were playing St. Mary's, a Catholic school. Mm-hmm. And so naturally my Nacho Libre outfit, you know, <laughs> that was going to work perfect yeah. for the Catholics. <laughs> and uh, so I did that. And then everybody asked, well, what do you got next? Well, hold on. I don't tell anybody what I got next. And I didn't tell them this. It's because I don't know what I have next. <laughs> and so. It'll be uh, a surprise for everybody. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just started dressing up in mid-season. Um, Idaho was playing us on ESPN. And they picked it up. They saw they even telestrated me, circled me. Um, <laughs> Marvin Jefferson missed two free throws in a row. The, at first, you can see him. He's laughing. He's looking at me. He's like, oh, this guy's an idiot. Bang, uh-huh. bangs it off. He's like, oh, man. And he, he gets this real focused face on He goes at it again, and he misses it again. And then, whoa. And that made not top 10 of the week, number one. Oh, and wow. That, yeah, so I was. I thought that was cool. Um, actually, for the year, that was not top 10, number two of the year. So, oh, wow. Yeah, I was the not top 10, number two of the of the year on that one. And then I'll just kind of briefly go over the next next year. So, yeah. so I you know I did all that, and then um, while I was doing all that, um, ESPN hit me up and said, "Hey, come out to ESPN U Studios. We'd like to have you for the week. You know, selection. There's selection Sunday, and then there's that week uh, between the before the NCAA tournament actually starts. We want you there. We're going to do a program all week." I said, "Okay." So it's the late night back bracket buster. So I went out there and did that with them, and that was really fun. Um, I met, you know, Ric Flair. Um, <laughs> yeah, Molly Karam and I became really good friends. She's uh, we were just buds the whole week. She's now on ESPN First Take, and you know, um, she's really cool, but uh, and really pretty. <laughs> and so, you know, twenty-seven-year-old Bill was like, oh, "I like this pretty girl." <laughs> yeah. But uh, she was really cool to hang out with. Um, but it was just, you know, and I was living a sports center commercial while I lived there, where I stayed there for a week. And and then while that happened, um, well, you, you're friends with the Godfrey's. Uh-huh. Um, Greg Godfrey's assistant called me up and said, hey, we'd like to have you come maybe do some filming with us. And I said, okay. So I filmed them with the Godfrey's in uh, Three Billies. Season three was actually the second season they filmed for Fuel TV. Um, you know, like Travis Pastrana and all those guys. So uh-huh. it was a really fun time. Uh, we did a lot of crazy stunts and we traveled all over. But then in the middle of that, I, I, uh, so through this whole time, before I get to that, through this whole time, mm-hmm. I was sick and I knew I was sick. Um, I was spitting blood. I'd been spitting blood about three months. Oh man! I hadn't slept in about six, and mm-hmm. about that same time, I couldn't keep food down. I'd eat and I'd throw up, but I was still gaining weight and didn't know what was going on. And then in the middle of filming, um, you have it checked out before then. You just know something's wrong. Yeah, I just knew something was wrong. Didn't I'm not a fan of doctor. Going to the doctor wasn't it? <laughs> they just tell you bad news. Yeah, you don't want to go there. Tell me to lose weight. <laughs> I know I need to lose weight. <laughs> and then they. Uh, you know, I ended up, my mom came over one day and, well, she'd been, she, my sisters were planning a, uh, an intervention for me actually. Cause oh, yeah. my skin was gray. Um, mm-hmm. I, I didn't look good. They thought I was on drugs. Um, and not just weed. I mean, weed's, you know, whatever <laughs> they thought I was, you know, doing like Coke or something. And, uh, and I was just like, no. So they were planning this intervention. My mom's like, I'm gonna call him. So she called me up. She's like, Hey, is everything okay? And trying to pry. I knew she was. I didn't know what you know exactly. What she was. I knew she mm-hmm. was trying to see how I was feeling. I was like, Leave me alone. I'm you know I'm dying anyway. And she's like, What do you mean you're dying? So I've been spitting blood three months. She's like, Well, that's not good. And so she's like, Well, what can I do for you? I'm like, Well, it's hard for me to walk right now. Can you take me to the? Um, I don't like driving. Can you take me to the? Uh, store i need to get some groceries she's like okay so she took me to the store and as we were walking and i spit some of the blood and it's like when i say i was spitting blood it was like i'd cough and then i'd spit and it was like full blood it was real just the whole amount of blood it didn't look like a little bit of blood and mucus it was just blood oh man yeah and uh she's like bill that's not good i said i know <laughs> but leave me alone 
Yeah. So uh, that night, she's <clears throat> she gave me a blanket. It was my grandma when she died. They took all her clothes and made a quilt out of her clothes. And she's like, and I was really close with my, her mom. Um, I was close with both my grandparents, my both grandmas, but. She just said, well, here's grandma's quilt. Um, looks like she's giving you a big hug. So I know you need it right now. So I didn't sleep, but I stayed up, you know, just sat there all night. And finally I was like, all right, I need to, I probably need to go to the hospital in the morning. So I called her up as soon as we got a decent time and said, when you're ready, I'll, I'll let you take me to Instacare, get some, you know, antibiotics and that's it. Yeah. She's like, okay. Went to Instacare. And oh, at this point, I'd broken my ribs for the second time from coughing, and uh, oh wow! So we went in, and not were, any thrill billy stuff. No, from coughing. just coughing. Okay, yeah. And they they looked at me, and um, they did some X rays. Little did I know, they on those X rays they saw two blood clots in my heart that were bigger than golf balls. And uh, they said, "Mr. Sprout, we need you to go to the ER right away." I said, "Okay, sounds good." My mom looked at me. She's like, "Really?" So we get out to the van and I hop in and I'm like, take me home. She's like, I knew it. I knew you weren't going to be that willing. And I said, I know, just take me home. She's like, no, I'm taking you. I said, fine. So I had her drop me off. and But I was, you know, I was commando. I said, mom, I ain't going to this freaking hospital balls out. So I need you to give me some draws. So I'm not just like <laughs> showing everybody my goods. So she ran and I walked in and, and they saw me and they're like, wait a second, how your bill is said, yeah thing well to uh instacare call i said to meet you out with a you know a, a wheelchair you you can't walk i said well, i'm walking just fine mm. but i mean i wasn't i was slow but i could walk still. yeah so they took me back in and um about an hour or two later they came and told me that <laughs> they needed to admit me to the hospital and i said all right but i'll be out tomorrow and they're like no <laughs> They said, well, yeah, maybe, maybe we'll see. And then next thing I know, they said, well, actually, we need to take you down to down to Salt Lake. And I said, okay. Oh, wow. So they intubated me, um, and they they flew me down to, to Salt Lake on a fixed-wing uh, plane, life flight, because they could put more um, machines and stuff to keep me alive. Uh, my ejection fraction, the squeeze of my heart was at under 10%. And the doctor, they told my doctor, my doctor told my mom, she's like, well, we've never seen people make it out with an injection fraction that low, but he's a fighter, so you never know. Mm -hmm. So I was asleep for the next week, and then I woke up a week later, and, you know, I'd lost 90 pounds, 80 pounds of water, and it was crazy. It was just lots of... um pretty hard time for, not for me i slept through it but for my family you know yeah that there, there was plenty of times we told them i wasn't gonna make it out mm. and uh in fact my stepdad followed the ambulance to the airport and he said there was a couple times they flipped off the lights and started to turn around and then flipped them on again and went straight and so because they thought i was gone yeah. you know and um but then you know i, I woke up and Midweek, the next week after waking up, my meds weren't quite right. Things weren't working, and I, my sister was in there with a, a friend's mom and a good friend, and she's. And I just looked at him. I said, you need to get the doctor, and I fell back, and my eyes wide open, and I died. My sister freaked out and went and got the doc and the, um, some nurses, and they got everybody in there and um, brought me back. Eventually, the first thing I said too was, uh, "There better not be any BYU fans in here. I'd rather die." <laughs> and they looked at me like, "What is wrong with this guy? That's he is funny. an idiot." <laughs> and, you know, the surgeon's whatever, like, "All right, well, I'm out." <laughs> the lady that did chest compressions on yeah. me was a BYU grad and brought me back. I was just, you know, I had the defibrillator on and everything. She, she got up there, was just banging them out. Just, yeah, well, karma, you know. Yeah. Thanks for saving my life, BYU. <laughs> but uh yeah, so I ended up spending about a month in the hospital and uh and then I got out and yeah, just have uh dealt with some heart trouble since. I'm just trying to get back. I, I gained you know, all that weight back eventually, which wasn't good, just through 
not, you know, really paying attention to myself and, um, but I've started losing it all again. So hopefully I'll before too long, get rid of most of it. But, um, there you go. You will bill. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I've got a question for you. So, so you've explained this, um, a couple of questions. One, what was the cause of this? Was this something that they just happened? Yeah, yeah. They, don't know. Just, they call it idiopathic cardiomyopathy. Uh huh. Cardiomyopathy is the diagnosis. Idiopathic means they don't know what it was. Huh. Um, they had some guesses that it was a virus, mm-hmm. um, things like that. So they're not a hundred percent sure. Now you you described when this all happened. It almost seemed like at the height of everything you were with ESPN, you were filming with Thrillbillies, and yet you had kind of this lackadaisical attitude where when your mom called you, you you said, I'm just dying anyway. Like I'm, I'm dying. Like, although you're spitting up blood for somebody who seems like they're at their height, you you didn't care. Why did you feel that way? I don't know. Um, I felt crappy anyway. My whole body was crappy one time, you know, a few weeks before, um, I actually went to the hospital. I went into some like coughing attacks and I fell on the ground and I was conscious, but I couldn't move. And I thought for sure I was dying. I Mm -hmm. I knew that I was, somebody was going to find me on the floor. I remember just looking around, couldn't yell, couldn't scream couldn't do anything and then bit by bit started moving my hands my feet started moving i got up and i was like oh there we go i'm good to go um probably should have went to the doctor then (laughs) but um yeah i was really stupid i was really stupid um and i just didn't care you you were making a lot of people happy you were making a lot of people smile but on the inside it sounds like it was very opposite yeah um in fact i i started going to the therapist after i got out of the hospital okay um, i had some mm-hmm. ptsd they told me um from the whole situation i and, bet you know it's not every day that you die <laughs> yeah no it's not <laughs> that is very traumatic <laughs> yeah and you come back from it <laughs> yeah and so uh the, the therapy was really good, and he warned me a lot, though, because he's like, you know, look at your heroes, you know, Chris Farley, John Belushi. Like, what happened to them? You know, they they made people laugh. They were so funny, but they battled their demons, and they self-medicated, and that's what killed them. Mm-hmm. He's like, you need to watch out. And so, um, That's an interesting comparison. Yeah, so I was... I collapsed at one of the games. They took me back into the um, training room, and one of the doctors was kind of checking me out. And uh, this lady that you know, was on the Utah State staff, she's a good friend of mine. She's like, "This is this goes beyond physical. He's he's depressed. He's and you know." And the guy, the doctor, looking, he's like, "How can you be depressed? You walk out there, and ten thousand people are going to chant your name." I said, I know. No, they are. But I'm going to feel like I'm not good enough. I'm going to feel like they hate me mm-hmm. and that I'm going to let them down. And I'm going to feel all alone. This whole place can chant my name and I'm going to feel all alone. And I did. I did a lot of the times. I mean, it was good. I felt cool. Um, I tried not to let it go to my head, but it was hard not to sometimes. And, uh, it, it was hard. I didn't feel like I lived a real life, though. Um, mm-hmm. You try to date, and then you take a girl out on a date, and all she wanted to do is be able to say she went out with Wild Bill or, you know. Yeah. I took a date out on a double date with my buddy Ty, and the entire time my date just wanted to get pictures with him and talk to him. and So she wasn't there to hang out with me. She was there yeah. for the, the double. So <clears throat> a lot of stuff people were... Um, just using me to see what they could get out of it. And, um, but I, you know, I didn't care. I thought, but then it turned out I did. That really kind of hurt me a lot. Yeah. So I want to make sure I understand. So you, you got out of the hospital. Did you still do wild bill stuff after that? So I had another year back. Okay. Yeah. I had another year and that year, you know, I killed it. I did 
more and it was even funnier and did did people know did espn know that this had happened yeah in fact they uh <clears throat> most of them had reached out to me um and tweeted things and like andy katz and uh molly Karam and um even scott van pelt had hit me up and um a lot of these people that i had done a lot of work with are really kind of cool and, and told me you know get better and whatnot so yeah so, so you're working through some of this um, PTSD. You've, you've got one year left. Um, what happens then? It, it finishes up. Where what, what happens to Bill? So I think this is the part of the story. I don't know. And maybe a lot of people are out there from the time in between to where you're at now. So um, that was the 2011 season. Mm-hmm. And then so like March, April. And then uh, August, my dad died, and uh, you know I had, I had some pretty rough stuff there. And then after he died, I I decided I needed to do something besides just kind of hang around. So I started working at a um, a residential treatment facility. Kids on the autism spectrum are who I was working with, and I loved them there. It was a really fun job. Um, I did that for three years. And then uh, my best friend, one of my very best friends since I was, you know, 13 or 14. Um, one day we, we were spending the day together. We had a lot of fun. Um, and then we were going to go can some peaches. This was, what, 2014. We were going to go can some peaches. And uh, the next day, do ribs, just have a good fun day. So I decided to spend the night at his house. And uh, woke up and... You know, he, he was a, he was an all night kind of guy and mornings weren't so hot for him. So I, I just kind of bounced and went down to my sister's house and hung out with her for a couple hours. Then I called him to, to wake him up and say, Hey, we should get going. We got some plans here. Mm -hmm. Um, but then when I called, you know, the call dropped and then told my sister, Hey, if he calls me, I'm gonna go hop in the shower real quick. Just tell him I'll be up in a minute. Before I walked out, he called back, and it was his dad on the phone. His dad was screaming, yelling, said, what's up? He's like, James is dead. James is dead. And I said, what? So I hurried back up, and sure enough, he'd had a, an accidental overdose. He'd had some back pain his whole life, and mm. um, and he was taking drugs for it, and he hated the drugs. He hated how it made him feel, but he'd been on them for 12 years, and so... He'd went to a rehab, he hated the rehab, and he went to a, uh, um, so then he just went home, and then he went cold turkey. Three weeks, didn't take any of his meds, and then that night, his back was really hurting, so he took one of his normal doses Mm -hmm. and didn't wake up, and uh, the really hard part for me, um, this is probably one of the lowest parts of my life. I uh, I woke up about one thirty two. I forget the exact time, um, but uh, I went to the bathroom and his door was open. His light was on, which is weird, but I didn't go in and check him out. And then I just went back to bed. And that's the coroner puts his time of death. That was like right in the middle of his time of death. And people tell you, you can't blame yourself Mm. okay i understand that yeah but tell me that when you're trying not to blame yourself so then i went for um three months i kind of just left went hitchhiking if i had friends going somewhere i'd just catch a ride with them i went all over and people said oh it was dangerous you could have got killed (laughs) that was the point (laughs) i wanted i wanted somebody to kill me i wanted somebody to you know, make me not I hurt anymore. I was sad and suicidal. And I mean, this was my best bud that I hung out with every day. And um, in Utah, when you're 30 and single, I mean, that's kind of, a, you know, you're in an elite club. Drive, drives <laughs> drives the best to, to those suicidal thoughts. Yeah. And so it's, have, it's hard. Yeah. And when, so I was, I was in a very, very, very low place in my life. Mm -hmm. And, um, I don't know. I, 
it's uh, still to this day, it, it hurts. Um, I finally learned how to cope with it. Um, I'll see something that um, that reminds me of them, and I'll break down, or I'll, I'll see a TV show, something, and I'll break down. And How did you start to climb out of this, Bill? How did you start to turn this um, low point from your life around? Well, I, I started dating a girl and, um, and that kind of helped a little bit, mm-hmm. but then when we broke up, I was just miserable again. It was kind of a bandaid. And then when you took the bandaid off, you know, it ripped the scab back off. And then I had not only the old wound, but new, and, uh, I was really sad. And, um, eventually I just started to. Um, to turn to God and um, you know I have some friends that are atheist or whatever they call themselves and like well you're just looking for something to make you feel better and I said you know what mm-hmm. I don't care if it's real or not at this point it has made me happy and it's brought me out of a very dangerous place mm-hmm. you should be happy for it too because I'm still here yeah you know, and um, I just started living a life of, you know, I kind of just turned my life over to God and said, hey, man, help me out here. And it was, I had about three months of just the most spiritual time of my life. And and in that time, I met my wife. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I haven't turned away from God by any means, but I'm not to where I, I used to be. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. to, at that point. Um, I don't think you can sustain any extreme thing like that for too long, but, um, I agree. Mm -hmm. It's helped me a lot through, through the low, low points. And, um, my wife has, has helped me a lot. Um, but I don't know. I still have triggers a lot. Um, and then early to January of 2016, I, I watched my uh, stepdad die. Um, he had a heart attack at a um, a car dealership, and my buddy called me. It's like, "Hey, is John sick?" I said, uh, "Little baby's got pneumonia," and uh, he's like, "Well, he just clapped at the, the dealership," and I was right there, so I turned around and went in, and they said, and the ambulance just, as I walked up, the ambulance pulled off. I said, I asked the cop, who is that? And I said, his name is John Jensen. I said, that's my stepdad. He said, you should probably follow. So I went up to the hospital and <clears throat> they said, I said, hey, my stepdad, his name is John Jensen. He just got brought in in the ambulance. And they said, hold on. And out walked a social worker. And I looked at her and I said, I know what this means. Mm-hmm. You're a social worker. Um, it doesn't mean he's going to be laughing and talking back there. Can we get back there? And she's like, yeah, let's go back. So we went back and I knew the ER doctor very well through my times in the ER. Um, I'd actually been over to his house for the Super Bowl. Like we're just good friends. Oh, wow. Um, and they said, doctor, um, the family's here. And, you know, there was people on my stepdad just giving chest compressions and his eyes were wide open and he had stuff in his mouth and he was just lifeless body getting tossed around and he turned around and said you know turned to talk to me he had a real professional face and he goes hi and he goes oh and then his face just drops he says bill i said hey this is your family i said yeah that's my stepdad he's like i'm so sorry and i said yeah i, I can tell and uh he's like and he kind of ran down ran down for me told me what they had done to try to help him and then he said, um, but uh, <clears throat> he's like, can we can we stop these measures? I said, I'm not going to tell you that's okay. He's like, well, we're stopping. That's just a formality we like to ask. I said, that's fine. Mm-hmm. You guys can stop, but I'm not going to tell you that. I'm not going to look my mom in the eye and say, yeah. hey, we, you know, I told him it's okay to stop trying to save John's life. Yeah. You know, because he was, he was my dad since I was two. You know, I had two dads essentially, and um, he was a great man, and it was hard. And so I still get triggered. You know, I, I wake up from from nightmares from that sometimes, and then 
I also i <clears throat> I had really bad nightmares for a long time when my buddy died. He, uh, I had dreams that he would come to me. It was every night for about six months. He'd come to me and he'd say, <clears throat> he'd look at me. He's like, "Man, why didn't you save me? You had come. You should have saved me. You were there. Why didn't you save me?" And that was every night for six months. Yeah. I hated sleeping. I didn't sleep very much. I'd only sleep an hour sometimes because. I did not want to sleep and it was just so much of why did you do this? Why you could have saved me. You were the person I was relying on to save me. And you know, I know it was, it was horrible, just horrible. And then six months later, um, I had a dream that stopped those dreams for, for a while, I still have them every once in a while, but nothing like I did. But the the dream I had that stopped it was he, um, we were hanging out, and he is we were at a hotel or something. He's like, "Hey, I'm going out to the pool," and I said, "Okay, great." So I'll be out there in a minute. So I walked out a couple minutes later, and he was floating face up in the, or face down in the pool. So I. Hopped in and pulled him off the side out of the pool, and I started doing CPR for him. And I pulled him out, and I brought him back to life. And he grabbed me, and he screamed at me. He's like, what is your problem? I said, what do you mean, what's your problem? I brought you back, buddy. We wanted this. We wanted to be together. We We didn't want you dead. He goes, I'm not supposed to be here anymore. I'm supposed to be gone. Let me go. Let me be dead. I'm living a good life over there. Let me go. And, uh, wow. Yeah. And I just said, I'll do my best, bud. But it's, uh, it's going to be hard. And he said, yeah, I know. But let me go. I said, okay. So I, uh, I let him go, but. I mean, you never do forget him, and no, you know, I try to honor him every day. Yeah, but um, yeah, it was it was difficult, but I really think that my faith has really pulled me through this um, this time, uh, and being able to talk about it has really helped too. Um, I bottled bottled it up for a long time. Um, running from it didn't help hitchhiking didn't help it was fun i did a lot of cool fun seeing things and saw a lot of things i wouldn't have seen otherwise yeah but um once i faced it and uh and dealt with it then you know it was it was good and walking away from the the life that i thought i was going to live the rest of my life being in the spotlight Mm-hmm. has been good um you know there was that there was opportunities for me that i turned down because i just um i think there's people out there that can handle it and can do it and i'm not one of them um i i'm just kind of your small town boy that wants to hang out and you know be yeah. myself and 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 if you want to hang out with me i'm welcome to anybody to hang out with me um, and if you're going to like me, it's because you spent time with me and you know who I am. And if you're going to hate me, it's because I, you spent time with me and you know, <laughs> know who I am. Are. Yeah. But, uh, the problem was, um, people loved me and they had no idea who I was and people hated me and they had no idea who I was. You know, I'd read some of the comments like, cause you know, there's been numerous articles written about me and I'd always read the comments and, you know, some of my favorite comments where somebody needs to take this fat ass's mom out and shoot her for such bringing such a worthless piece of shit into the world. Um, and I'm just like, gosh, that's terrible. I'm just thinking to myself, like, what makes you feel okay sitting behind a computer screen saying this kind of stuff? Like, yeah, like, what is what, what does that do for you? Mm-hmm. And, um, I always thought it was funny. I didn't really let that kind of stuff get to me, but um, I had to stop reading eventually because it just, it was like, eh, 
There's just it's not doing any good for me. Not may not hurt me, but it's not doing any good. Yeah. So, what's what's your outlook now, Bill? Having gone through these, these are some very very challenging things that you've gone through in your life. How how have these experiences shaped you, and where do you see it taking you? I tell you what, it's made me pretty empathetic. Um, it, when me and my wife, I we, we don't get in fights. When we have disagreements, we haven't really gotten any fights, fights, but we we do get in disagreements. We're you know two different people, right? And that's um, normal. <laughs> yeah, right. It's it's yeah. it's healthy to have disagreements. Yes. Um, even when we're upset with each other, I have to make sure she knows I love her. And when we leave each other, I have to say it. And um, it might be annoying for her sometimes because she just wants to be mad at me. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I I can't leave a room without her knowing how much I love her. Um, any family and friends, I always let them know how much I love them because, uh, you know, um, with my stepdad, I, I don't know when the last time it was I told him I loved him. It was within, you know, probably a week or two, mm-hmm. but it wasn't, it wasn't the day he died. And, uh, I don't know. I just, I don't like living with regret. I don't like living. We're always going to have some kind of regret, but there's just some regret I don't want to live with. And it's simple enough to let people know how you feel. So yeah. I, that's one I'm not going to live with. Now you mentioned that you're, you're trying to live your live your life to honor your friend and everybody who has who has passed on and I definitely think that you are doing that and you're carrying along his spirit you're <laughs> you're carrying along um that friendship the the gone but not forgotten and definitely think today sharing that experience is definitely carrying it on there are other people who may be going through an experience like that where they don't see the end, where they're continuing to blame themselves for, for something that has happened. And you know, that the dream and the experience that you had was so powerful that doesn't make it easier, but can help others to know that they're those that have passed on know that they're in a better place. And you know, you can bring, religion you know into it uh, whether or not religious or just you like to think and believe that they're in a better place in a better state that you don't have to carry this what if what if i would have gone into that door uh if there's something more that i would have done one more thing to have said uh, like he said and i firmly believe this there is a reason and there is a timing for everything that's both good and bad um and it's very very touching uh and inspiring to hear your story and your struggle with that experience but i do believe you're carrying that legacy on a a lot of a lot of struggle and trial in your life bill you know you you mentioned that all of these fake friends you know like like drake would say uh put it out there people that really weren't interested in getting to know you wanted to know you because you had been in the spotlight maybe you had some connections to some other people i'm i'm happy that you're here today bill so that i can get to know you better on a personal level um i I told you what i thought of your life drugs sex and rock and roll (laughs) this guy in the spotlight but there's so much more there and you know that's why i love doing this podcast that's why i'm such a lover of people because we all have stories and experiences like like this my mine aren't the same as yours i although i i lost my dad in 2007 yeah um you know it was a trying hard time but it's like gosh you know we've had this this whole time and we didn't know about it yeah um and it's it's just crazy. I'm I'm happy you're here and I'm happy you're sharing that and thankful that you're you're putting your story out there. Like you said, these are still things that you're you're working on. These are still, still things that you struggle that, that you carry with you. And I think that that's important for people to understand and to know that being better is not being whole or being well. 
Yeah. <laughs> and it's not a, a requirement or a necessity. There are our struggles and and um, experiences in life that will take for us. But the story that we tell ourselves with those or what's going to be important, these are stories with you, Bill, that will continue to, to carry with you to help others. I had a, a friend tell me <clears throat> after my buddy died, because she was a, a mutual friend of both of ours, and she knew how bad I was struggling, and I told her I didn't want to live anymore. I wanted mm-hmm. to die. And she's like, well, that's fine. Like, you can choose what you want. But she said, do me a favor. And if you don't like this version of your life, find a new version of your life and see if you like that. And if you don't like that one, give it another try. She's like, <clears throat> and and then, you know, eventually, if, if you really just don't find a version you like, you know, come talk to me again. But mm-hmm. try and find a new version of you and see and see how that does and that was some of the best advice i ever had you know because um i just hit my one year anniversary with my wife and i've looked back um because there were there were some times that um suicide came you know was no longer thought it was put into plans and and it was really close um i'm talking really close and um i and it's been thought of a lot the last about three weeks i've been thinking about a lot and said to myself i'm just like man if i would have ended things first the first time it was almost done was i think 2011 2010 about six months after the hospital and uh because after i died i didn't feel like i was supposed to be here anymore Mm mm-hmm um, had I, had I done it then, I couldn't believe on the things I'd mess out with, you know, even, even from, you know, till 2000 and, you know, 15 or 14 when I, when I thought about it again and, you know, both times it was a good friend that, that, that reached out one time and my friend just showed up to my house. He said, I don't know what's going on with you, Bill, but I'm out front of your house and, and I'm coming in. Um, I just want to talk to you. I said, okay, yeah, come on in. And I hid my gun that was on my table and I put the note in my pocket and wow. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was minutes, minutes yeah. away. And he came in and took me to dinner and I broke down and told him what he'd stopped and we cried together and um you know he told me he loved me and we were always good friends and but now there's a bond there that mm-hmm. just can't be broken and then after my buddy died um you know i had a bottle of whiskey in the in a, in a pistol and i just was trying to decide where and I got a text from one of my really good friends and her and her husband are some of my closest friends. And she said, Hey, we haven't seen you for a while. We just wanted you to know how much we absolutely love you. And we, we want to hang out very soon. And then I just broke down. I didn't tell her anything at that moment. I've eventually, since then I've told her, mm-hmm. but, um, I just, I broke down and, uh, you know, to anybody that listens to this, just know, <laughs> People love you. Uh, people, if you ever struggle with that, like, I think it's normal. People, people, mm-hmm. people have struggles, um, and it gets really, really sad sometimes. But uh, man, don't do anything drastic without thinking of the ones you love first. Reach out to them and just tell them you love them. Mm-hmm. You don't have to tell them everything you're going through. You don't have to tell them your thoughts, your plans, but just reach out to them and tell them you love them first. You know, as as you've said that, Bill, one of the things that I'm I'm working on and I'm trying to get better as if if there is a thought that I have that comes up about a friend, you know, or a family member or something, to text them, to call them, uh, to let them know, just hey or something like that. This is this is really strange, and this has only come up like within the past two weeks. Like I'm really trying to execute on those thoughts and. And I would almost say I would encourage everyone to, to follow through on those thoughts because you it's never crazy. know the impact 
of the other person of, of what they're going through at that exact moment and the timing of when that happens and what could be uh i that's it's amazing now i i love what your friend told you create a new version of yourself create a new life and i <laughs> i I hate that I did not know this story because here we are coming into this. I'm like, well, Bill, let's talk about this. Let's share. Well, I think it's a part of your life. I can tell through our conversation that that is an old version, something almost essentially that you've put to rest. Yeah, pretty much. You know, I, I was almost embarrassed by it for a long time. Um, and not necessarily because of the shirtless stuff, mm-hmm. but because it took me to a place that I didn't really like. Um, but then I love my friends I made from the experiences. Um, I love the experiences I had and I learned to embrace it. Um, I don't live that life anymore. That is something that I've made a new version on. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, cause you know, I constantly get people, Hey, you should do, go do this again. <laughs> well, I've moved on from there. Yeah. I'm, I'm living something different now, but, um, it's a very fun part of my life. It's a fun part of my past to talk about. Um, I like to, d- uh, during the Wild Bill stage in my life and post Wild Bill, I was doing a lot of outreach with children. Um, I was always very upfront with my depression. I wanted kids to know that it was normal to feel icky sometimes. And sometimes you don't have a reason why you feel bad. You just feel bad and it's not your fault. And I was very much into the the outreach and we did a lot of kids programs and things like that because um, I think the key with depression, with mental health, with things like that is early recognition, early diagnosis and get, getting tools um, early on in life. Um, you know, I was in my 20s when I realized that I had, you know, some problems and you know, I don't think mine started till a little bit later either, but um, I think when, the earlier you can get helping yourself and others around, it's just the higher amount of success we're going to have. Yeah, well, now I want to ask you my, my last, my final question, and that is what advice do you have for others? Uh, and maybe going through some similar experiences that you have, or or just in general, what advice do you have for others to live their optimal lives? Um, man, <laughs> you know, if if faith is your thing, live it. If if you if you want to have a higher power in your life, um, I know with me, you know, I'm. I'm doing the stuff with my with my church, and when I live the teachings, um, the the stuff I believe, mm-hmm. um, then I'm happy. Um, I don't think living a life of whatever you want to do when you want to do it is ever going to get anybody truly happy. If you don't have you know, religious beliefs that are going to set some, some kind of ground rules and base morals for you, create your own, create your own morals, create your own boundaries in which you have to live and make them something you have to reach for. And, you know, some of them can be pretty basic, but I think when you're accomplishing goals, living uh, your version of a moral life, my version that might be different than yours, Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't think your my, my version of morality is any better or less than your version of morality. It's just a different version, but live your life with morals and values, whatever you choose those to be. And if you do that, I think you will find happiness. You'll be find that you are, you know, the optimal you, I guess. Awesome. I love that. Such great advice, Bill. I, man, I am so excited for this episode to go live. There's, there's a lot here, a lot of good. 
uh, that have come from some very challenging times in your life. And, uh, you know, as I told you before, and, and even during this episode, there are really going to be people that are going to resonate and connect with this message. So thank you for coming. Thank you for those that have tuned in, have listened to the story of Bill today. Um, don't forget to like, comment, and share because the the purpose is to get this message to those who need to hear it. Uh, I don't want you to share just for uh, views. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want it to to, to grow my following. I, I want this message to get to others. So if you know somebody who can benefit from hearing this, I want you to share it with them. Uh, until next week, friends, thank you. Live your optimal lives. Create the values and the morals. Uh, reach out to those friends, those family members that you feel prompted to uh, or get impressions to uh, and keep that perspective uh, that life happens uh, for us and not to us. Alrighty, take care.